Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum and Ketotarian and I'm so excited for this. My brand new book is for pre-order right now. It's called Gut Feelings. I'm talking about the bi-directional relationship between our thoughts and emotions and our physical health. Mental health is not separate from physical health. It is physical health. I'm so excited about this. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center that we have, the books, and there's lots of free resources there for you as well, you can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, I'm giving away free signed books. No matter when you listen to this episode, every month, my team and I will be going through the Apple Podcast reviews and randomly picking winners and reaching out to you. And you can tell us what book you want and we'll send you a signed book to wherever you're at. So here's how to do it. Rate and review The Art of Being Well on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you love about the show. And you can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review and do it that way. Or you can screenshot your Apple Podcast review and message me over on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. Either way, we'll be going through the messages on Instagram and the Apple Podcast review and picking winners every month randomly. All right, let's get to today's guest. She is brilliant. You're going to learn so much from her. Her name is Dr. Lisa Miller. She is a New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child and her new book, the number one national bestseller, The Awakened Brain. Dr. Miller is a professor in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. She is the founder of the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program and research institute in spirituality and psychology, and has held over a decade of joint appointments in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University Medical School. Her innovative research has been published in more than 100 peer-reviewed articles in leading journals, including Cerebral Cortex, the American Journal of Psychiatry, and the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. 
Dr. Miller is editor of the Oxford University Press Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality, founding co-editor-in-chief of the APA journal Spirituality in Clinical Practice, an elected fellow of the American Psychological Association, APA, and the two-time president of the APA Society for Psychology and Spirituality. She is a graduate of Yale University and University of Pennsylvania, where she earned her doctorate under the founder of positive psychology, Martin Seligman. She has served as principal investigator on multiple grant-funded research studies. This human being is not only completely one of the kindest people that I've ever met in my life. She is also one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met in my entire life. You're going to love this conversation. Stay tuned to the entire conversation because at the end, I'll answer another one of your burning health questions and then ask me anything. All right. This is Dr. Lisa Miller's Art of Being Well. Dr. Lisa Miller, this conversation is going to change people's lives. I have no doubt about that. Thanks for being on the podcast. I've so been looking forward to connecting with you, Will, and I think your show is absolutely landmark. So thank, thank you, you for including me today. Oh, my goodness. It is an honor to have you to talk about your work and be such an expert in your field. So let's start with just, I'm curious, what got you into your research? What, how, did you, how did you find this or how did this find you, I guess, maybe is the way we should see it. So what has amounted to 20 plus years of published peer review research on spirituality and mental health, spirituality and resilience really started when I was on an inpatient unit. And what I saw early in my career was people with profound suffering. They hurt so badly and all of the medication in the world was not going to lift them up out of their pain in any ongoing or enduring way. And what was most remarkable to me, Dr. Will, was that they knew it. The patients would pull me aside and they knew, you know, you, people know when you're open to a spiritual deep connection. Mm -hmm. They'd say, Dr. Miller, will you come here? And people in terrible suffering admitted to the inpatient unit wearing hospital gurneys, which seemed pretty unnecessary, would pull me into, you know, the back corner of the ward and say, Dr. Miller, will you pray with me? And I didn't happen to be of their same faith tradition. They were looking for a spiritual connection to another human being and to their higher power. And they knew that was essential to moving through the darkness. Wow, that, that's powerful. So let's talk about your research and start with the fact of what you found is that we are we have a spiritual aspect to our, ourselves. So what does the research show and how... Where does spirituality fit into how, how we work and who we are as human beings? So spirituality, as you say, is indeed an aspect of ourselves. We know through twin studies, which can tell you the extent to which anything is inborn or environmentally formed. We know that the spiritual core of every human being, not just the most devout or the most pious or those who call themselves spiritual, everyone is born with a natural spiritual core. It is one-third innate. We're born with the hardwired capacity to be in relationship to the deeper, transcendent nature of life. But it's two-thirds environmentally shaped. So how we guide ourselves as adults and as children, how we are parented to be engaged with spiritual connection has a great deal of molding effect onto our natural, if you will, the clay, the putty, the heart of who we are spiritually. 
Mm. Let's define this maybe when we talk about spirituality, that is different or is it the same as saying religious? And what what are we talking about as far as somebody that is quote unquote spiritual or is tapping into what they as part of them? So in the United States, about one third of people say I am spiritual, but I am not religious. For me, I experience spiritual life in relationship, in nature in art or music. About two-thirds of people in the United States say, I am spiritual and I am religious. And it's through my faith tradition, whether I'm Catholic, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, whatever my beautiful tradition may be, it is through the prayers, the texts, the community that I experience my spiritual life. Whether or not we are religious, Mm -hmm. we are all spiritual beings. Got it. This is who we are. Yeah. So let's go to the twin studies first. Like what does the data show Mm -hmm. specifically with looking at twins? So what's so amazing, Dr. Will, is that when we go through the different chapters of life, every time we look different, our spirituality grows too, body, mind, and soul. So for instance, in puberty, whether or not we expect it, whether or not we're told this, there's a booting up, there's a biological clock Mm. and a hunger of our heart. What is my meaning? What is my purpose? Actually, how is life really made? What is the purpose? And everything you told me, pastor, priest, Amon, mom and dad, grandma, it's all up for grabs against the resonance of my own inner heart, my inner compass, spiritual coming of age, individuation. And every faith tradition on earth has shown this, whether it's bar and bat mitzvah or confirmation or the sweat lodge, the anipi, with growing up physically, becoming an adult, we assume a mantle through all traditional communities Mm -hmm. of a spiritual contributor and a spiritual knower. Mm -hmm. Again, at midlife, when we start to look different, we grow spiritually, Mm -hmm. we move inward. And people who may never have ever asked profound questions in their life suddenly want to know, have I lived my life well in an ultimate sense? Have I been a good parent, contributor to this world, this mm-hmm. earth? So this hardwired innate capacity for spiritual life rears its head and we cannot ignore it. Mm-hmm. Far too often in our mainstream society, we brush it off. We call coming of age, sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. We call the deep bridge to midlife, midlife crisis. But there's no amount of Ferraris that are going to answer this call. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've heard you talk about the statistics about what people, and maybe give us the, the stats on this, the epidemic rise of depression and brain health problems as a whole. But I've heard you talk about about a third of people that have depression, they, they need some medical intervention, but two thirds, the majority of people that have some, like you said, these crossroads in their life, they really could to be tapping into the spiritual component that they maybe don't even know that that they have within themselves. Is that true? Exactly. Absolutely. So at these crossroads, as we grow our capacity for spiritual mm-hmm. life, it feels like a half-empty glass of spirituality. Mm-hmm. We have existential longing and the life that looked just fine yesterday no longer feels full. That's coming from the inside. Let's not blame everyone in our outer life, right? Mm-hmm. And our job and our spouse and our kids. This is an internal process. And what's happening is that whether it's through this emergence, hardwired, or sometimes life events, we get close to the edge of life and death, perhaps someone's ill or has died, there is only a spiritual answer to that pain. Mm -hmm. That 
form of growth, that form of discovery is effectively the ignition Mm -hmm. through which we are compelled to grow spiritually. It hurts. Mm -hmm. It is a developmental depression. Mm -hmm. We are, have no choice, but through the knock at the door of pain of developmental depression to reach more deeply. What is life showing me now? If you believe in a higher power, what are you higher power, God, universe, Hashem, Allah, what, Jesus, what your word may be, what are you asking of me now? And mm-hmm. the deeper force through life is indeed in dialogue with us as we emerge through this suffering to the next higher mantle. This form of developmental depression is a call through which we rise to the newer, deeper form of awareness that we need to inherit the next phase of our life. Mm. We so, would not want to dope this away. Right. I'm well said. Yeah. Typical children's vitamins are basically, let's be honest, candy in disguise. It's true. They're filled with teaspoons and teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids honestly should never be eating. And that's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved superpower chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with all the sugar and can contribute to a variety of different potential health issues, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes really great and is perfect for picky eaters. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diet to provide the full body nourishment our kids need with the yummy taste they actually love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals that I honestly see low on a lot of kids' labs, including vitamin D, vitamin B12, vitamin C, zinc, folate, so many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, it's vegan, it's dairy-free, it's allergy-free, it's gelatin-free, nut-free, all the free, so it's super safe for your kids. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. I have two kids, teenagers, and they love this. My son is picky eater, even at 16 years old, and he freaking loves this stuff. I put it in his supplement box for the week and he remembers to take it and he's very consistent with it because it tastes great. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to hayahealth.com slash willcole. This deal is not available on their regular website. So you have to go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash willcole, hayahealth.com slash willcole, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Did you know that people age at different speeds? The date on your license honestly may not represent your inner biological age at all. If you're looking for ways to extend your health span, your longevity, and slow down the aging process, the keys to health and longevity run in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to improve your metabolism, reduce your stress, improve your sleep, and optimize your health and longevity for the long term. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not, and you can focus on those areas. 
You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise for your body, right nutrition for your body, and supplementation just for your body. It's bio-individuality at its best. In addition to all of that, what I would recommend is adding what they call Inner Age 2.0. You can add Inner Age 2.0 to any plan for a definitive calculation of your true biological age. You can actually see how you're aging from the inside out. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. That's insidetracker.com forward slash art of being well. Or you can use code WillCool at checkout to get that 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the host of Work Party, a podcast for ambitious women looking to create and cultivate the career of their dreams. Work Party is paving the way for a new generation of women, women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. Every Wednesday, we bring in leading female powerhouses for real talk and BS-free advice on building your business. You'll hear from female founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so many other badass ladies. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Then tune into Work Party, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. So what are the statistics of depression right now? What, what, are, what are we seeing as a society? So right now, half of the people in the United States are depressed. And it's even more egregious amongst young adults, 18 through 25. So this level of mass depression, if we look at this as a collective developmental depression, wake up society. Mm. We are being called to deepen our spiritual heart, to be more loving to one another, to see life not as a place where I go and get what I want as if I'm shopping at a market, mm-hmm. but really as a journey. Yeah. Know, what can life reveal to us about our deeper nature, about this journey, this beautiful journey on earth. And I think we have taken consumerism as a 24-hour lived way of knowing each other. Hey, what can you do for me? Hey, he's going to help me. I, you know, I see this as a parent outside the classroom door, Dr. Will. All the parents crowd around my child who's an A student and completely ignore my child who's a C student. And you've got to be kidding me. This is a tiny little child. So this idea that we are all almost sort of like products or that we're all players in a market. Well, that's a very thin piece of our human experience, actually. Mm. And the far grander piece is that we are souls on earth brought into contact with one another for this exquisite journey. And this journey is full of love. If we say yes, it's full of unbelievable surprises. And it makes us really deep and good. I mean, I go for door number two. (laughs) Yeah, let's do door number two for sure. So what does... What did the brain, the brain scan research is fascinating to me. How I'll let you talk about it, but just different parts of the brain that you see being impacted during depression. What's going on there? And what do you see in people that are, that have spiritual practices? What's the difference there? So the notion that depression is a call to spiritual awakening, that is not just, you know, Dr. Miller's favorite story. This is based on MRI studies published in top peer-reviewed journals. What we found was that in people to recover from deep despair through a strengthening of their spiritual core, through effectively awakening their spiritual brain, we saw 
profound cortical thickness. The cortex is processing power across the spiritual regions of the brain. We saw in the parietal, precuneus, and occipital regions of perception, reflection, and orientation, a stronger brain that could look more deeply into life and could understand life day in and day out more profoundly. Now, when we recover, not through jumpstarting, through SSRIs alone, not alone, but through this deepening work, what God, what higher power, what spirit are you showing me now? How can I love more? What really is my opportunity here? Out the other end, the strengthening of the brain girds us against a subsequent depression. Mm -hmm. We saw that the cortical thickness across the regions of the spiritual brain protected us from depression one year out. Mm. A year from now, we're less likely to be depressed. And furthermore, those very same regions to grow thick and strong are not sick, but are thin in people with recurrent major depression, suggesting that spiritual life is neuroprotective against recurrent major depression. We have a say. And what's so beautiful, Will, is that those of us who are slated to have more depression loaded up genetically in a family that is high risk under the rain cloud of daily life, Mm -hmm. we who are at high risk are 90% protected against recurrence, are more likely to derive the benefit of a strong spiritual brain. So this is so redeeming. This says that I am not slated with my genes. The sensitivity that might make me open to depression is the same openness that can be allowing spirit, love, connection into the deep pores of my heart. And that is how our healers, our shamans, our musicians and mystics have always been. Wow, so true. I mean, really going in into this this concept that I've heard you teach about how stress, trauma, pain, and spirituality is part of that same door. And there's people that have these big doors. They have it's there's a saying, there's a Kabbalistic saying I've heard, a rabbinical saying that that says basically the the more darkness there is, the bigger capacity there is for light. And I think that's kind of what you're saying here in science. Beautiful. And that is mirrored in the MRI studies published in JAMA Psychiatry. Wow. The very same brain that is sensitive to pain and suffering is the very same brain that is exquisitely open to receiving inspiration spirit. So we need to move away from saying, oh, this is a depressive, to saying this is a sensitive, and then invite the sensitive to receive inspiration and take moments of suffering as a knock at the door to a deeper look into the mystical, spiritual, transcendent reality. Very cool. Wow. This is really beautiful. So I've heard you talk about the research of the different phenotypes that you see, like the commonalities that you see. So we talk, can we talk about these phenotypes? Like what should people be, I don't know if the word is cultivate or look at strengthening, like what, what does the data show? So Dr. Will, this is so beautiful all around the world. There is one spiritual brain. Just as there's one capacity to feel rhythm or one way to see light or innate language capacity, of course, there's subtle human variants, but we all have the same foundational spiritual brain. Mm -hmm. And because spirituality is one-third innate, it should show phenotypes, expressions that are common all around the world. 
And indeed, we looked in India, we looked in China, we looked in the U.S. And no matter where we are and no matter what faith tradition we may be part of or not part of a faith tradition, we all showed at least five universal phenotypes, expressions of natural spirituality. The first is that love is a mutative force. Love is not just an emotion like happiness. Love truly changes the world. Okay, India, China, US, everyone gets that. Mm -hmm. The second is that just as we may be at different GPS coordinates and have different zipped up bio bodysuits, there is one deep unity in life. We all get that. We are separate and we are one. India, China, and the US, love and oneness, transcendent awareness. Now, how do we help ourselves realize this knowing? Well, every culture at which we have looked has an on-ramp to transcendent awareness, to awakening the spiritual brain. Prayer, meditation, mind-body, sacred text or reading, ritual. And so too, there's an off-ramp. Having been in touch with life's ultimate reality, the highest power, morals, how we walk the walk of spiritual values are not cherry-picked based on, hey, what feels best, but derived from our relationship to the axioms of life itself. Mm. So we have an on-ramp and we have an off-ramp and we have a core spiritual brain that feels love and unity, a deep, deep, deep love in and through us all. We are loved, we are held, we are never alone. And finally, the fifth phenotype, which is the one most profoundly strengthening of the spiritual brain, the most cortical thickness goes with this, is love of neighbor. Mm. When we walk the walk of love and unity. Wow. Beautiful. And you think like the research is now substantiating antiquity and things that you hear in spiritual texts. I think of Jesus's words, right? He says like, love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Like the entire law and prophets hinge on this. Basically like everything hinges on this. And now this is really reflected in the research. The final article from this series of MRI studies, well, mirrors what you just said, which is the very same neuro seat of awareness through which we're connected, God, our higher power, is the very same neuro seat through which we see God, spirit, in one another. Love of neighbor is a form of love of God or the yes. ultimate creator. It's the quantum. And you think of quantum physics and all of this, like it's all connected. Have you heard about Cozy Earth? Cozy Earth develops and crafts high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home. Cozy Earth, man, this stuff is softer than cotton. It's made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics. Cozy Earth is temperature regulating, meaning you stay cool throughout the night, and you'll be comfortable, you get a great night's sleep. I've seen my REM and my deep sleep both improve when I'm tracking it. Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list four years in a row. I mean, if Oprah likes it, we should all love it, right? <laughs> they have a 10-year warranty on all products, and they have a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. But you're honestly going to love this stuff. It comes in five different colors, white, light gray, driftwood, charcoal, and oat. Cozy Earth provided the Art of Being Well listeners an exclusive offer 
35% off site-wide, wow, when you use the code WILLCOLE. All you have to do is head on over to CozyEarth.com, use promo code WILLCOLE at checkout to get that 35% site-wide. Again, that's code WILLCOLE at CozyEarth.com. I don't know if you know this. I mean, you know, you know, my day job is I run the Functional Medicine Telehealth Center, but I'm also the medical director for Chroma. If you've not heard about Chroma, they are freaking amazing. Chroma is the anti-cleanse. They are replacing deprivation with satisfaction and nourishment. Forget everything you know and fear about cleanses. Chroma's transformational five-day whole body reset is changing the way people think about cleansing and detoxing, focusing on nourishment over starvation. What I love about their five-day reset is that it's customizable. And that's why I really stand behind because of what I do in functional medicine. It's bio-individuality and they have different tracks based on your lifestyle and preference. It's customizable, allowing you to make the program work best for you and meet your unique goals and needs. I've done the three and five day cleanse reset many, many times. And honestly, it's a lifestyle for me. I love, even when I'm not doing the reset, I'm bringing the Chroma products into my life. I personally love their beauty matcha with collagen, turmeric, ginger, and mushrooms, as well as their super porridge made with nuts and seeds and is perfect way to start your day and ignite your metabolism. All you have to do is just add hot water and you can customize as you need by adding proteins and vegetables to your broths, your fruits. You can add fruits and vegetables to your smoothies that they have and whatever you need to feel nourished and I'll be helping you along the way. For the Art of Being Well listeners, and only for a limited time, you can use code WILLCOLE20 at checkout for 20% off their first Chroma five-day reset purchase. They never offer this big of a discount on their resets, so definitely take advantage of the special deal. Offer ends November 1st, 2022, my friends. Head on over to chromawellness.com right now. That's K-R-O-M-A wellness.com, chromawellness.com and use code WILLCOLE20, that's WILLCOLE20 at checkout to get that 20% off while supplies last. So go check it out right now. So what do you say to the person that is maybe been burnt by mm. religion or yeah. they're very, I don't want to use that word lightly, but triggered or reactive maybe to the idea of this? And, or the person that says, the, they're, I'm an atheist and they're, this is, that, that's who I am and their identity is in their atheism. What's, what's, what do we say to those people? Very often there's a story that goes alongside that felt sense. And the story sounds something like this. There was a member of my childhood faith organization who did not walk the walk. There is, of course, a torch, the light of truth. Spirit. And then there's the torchbearer, a human being. And the torchbearer, whether it's a pastor, priest, a mon, rabbi, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, very well as a human being may be foibled. They might be lightly foibled or they might be severely foibled. They are only a person. But for the young person growing up, when the torchbearer of truth doesn't live out truth, mm -hmm. there's a form of spiritual injury where there's a confusion. You know, the spiritual baby gets thrown out with the bathwater of mm -hmm. the bad carrier. Mm -hmm. 
this is an opportunity. This is not a fait accompli. This is not written in stone. I've met so many young adults, people at all chapters in our lives, who then find their way back on their own terms to their natural spiritual heart. It might be through joining a fellowship, whether it's a sangha, a minion, some form of nature journey group, where people do walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And their faith in the capacity to live out the core truth of spiritual life is renewed, is healed. Mm -hmm. It could be through personal practice of meditation or reading. And the notion that is so beautiful, Dr. Will, of Dharma, that on our path, we can pick and choose that from one faith tradition, perhaps it's Buddhism, and then the next, perhaps it's Christianity, that resonates into our own heart and build our own spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. We are built for a spiritual journey. And in fact, our deep suffering is when we simply close the door and say, no, not for me, because somewhere along the way, I met someone not on the journey. Mm -hmm. Right. So what do you say to the person that is they're hearing this of how pain and trauma can be a gateway to deepening this sort of reserve, the spiritual access, but they don't know where to start and they Mm -hmm. are flooded and they feel like, what's the purpose of all of this? Like, what do you have some action steps that people can start to lean on through that other door? Dr. Will, would it be okay if we did a brief 90 second practice? I would love that. Let's do it. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. I'm going to invite us to close our eyes, take seven breaths to clear out our inner space, and then share a visualization. I invite you to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that's so much more than anything that you've done or not done that you may have or not have, your true, eternal, higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power. Whatever word you use, how you may know your higher power. And ask your higher power if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to share? What do they need to tell you now? What do you need to know? powerful. I'm so grateful. This is your counsel and they are always there for you. Who shows up may change depending on where we are in our road of life. Mm -hmm. And we can ask them anything that's on our heart. This, I always acknowledge my teacher was a gift from the late Dr. Gary Weaver who built this practice. I would sense through inspiration working for 30 years with people with profound spiritual injury who had shut the door on their heart. Yeah. Wow. This is really, really special. All right. I'm curious, your, did you have a faith tradition growing up and has that evolved through you knowing the research, but also Mm -hmm. experientially um, what you've experienced? What, What does that evolution look like for you? 
So Dr. Will, like every child on earth, I was a naturally spiritual child. And I'm very grateful that my mother was also a profoundly spiritually connected woman. She would pray and tear with inspiration and presence. And she would, every time we ate anything, every time we stepped before her, she'd say, thank you, God. That was her word for the children. So life was connected. Life was full of spiritual presence. Now, I was raised in two ways at once. One was to be a spiritual citizen of the world. So my parents would simply pull me out of school, Dr. Will, and we'd go on sabbatical. We'd eat in the park. And there was nothing I loved more than walking into different faith traditions, homes of worship. We'd go into cathedrals. We'd go into mosques. We'd go into beautiful Hindu temples. We traveled the world looking for the spiritual heartbeat as expressed through many faith traditions. And at the same time, our family had our faith tradition. I was raised Jewish. So I was a Jew and I was a spiritual being of the world. And I think to language for our own children as parents or for each other in deep connection, the ability to toggle between universal spiritual human journey and the broad embrace of religious pluralism. That, you know, one person does experience spiritual life through Jesus and the next does through Judaism. And then to really become spiritually multilingual, not just nod respectfully, like, hey, that's your deal. But in my heart, I know what you're talking about because we are universally spiritual beings. And we do this in my class at the Spirituality Mind Body Institute at Columbia. One person will say, my grandma, she tattooed me and it linked me to all my ancestors through time. And the next says, yeah, I got that because my grandma, I mean, she loved me and she taught me to pray. So now when I pray, it's kind of God and my grandma all rolled up into one and someone else will say, yeah, I got that because my grandma, she's passed, but she walks with me. And when my back is against the wall, I can hear her in my ear saying, move. Hmm. And someone else says, yeah, that is your grandma because energy can never be destroyed. So we all know what we're talking about and can we embrace each other's language, pluralism. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you, this is probably a common human experience then. When you met, when we went through the exercise, the people at my table, I, I had two actually, my wife showed up and my grandma showed up who recently passed away. And it was like them holding my hands, doing all of this. So with God, and it is, it's beautiful. I'm sure many people's, they, many people see God, I'm sure through their grandparents. Oh, yes. And and Dr. Will, as you shared that, I had chills up my arms. So I, I want to share with you how true and profound that generous sharing is. Thank you. And I, you know, I invite people to, as you just said, think about who your teachers, your spiritual ambassadors mm-hmm. have been in life, who did walk the walk. Yeah, absolutely. Meet Ritual, a company that was founded by a skeptical mom who didn't trust the multivitamins out there. She believed we deserved better. Today, Ritual has a first-of-its-kind traceable supply chain so you can see where all of your key ingredients come from and why they are there. They don't just say, take our word for it. They actually show you the proof. Like their flagship multi, which has a USP verification and a peer-reviewed and published clinical study. All of their products are vegan and non-GMO and third-party tested so you actually can trust them. I love the Ritual multivitamin. It's a part of my daily routine. 
It's specifically formulated to help fill nutrient gaps in the modern diet with key ingredients like vitamin D3 and vegan omega-3 DHA. Their delayed release capsule is designed to be gentle on the stomach, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh to help avoid that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. All of Ritual's products are vegan, non-GMO, and gluten-free. Ritual is certified B Corporation that believes doing good for your health also means doing good for the planet. It's delivered straight to your door each month, which I love. It's like there's no guesswork. It's just there. I can take it. So you never have to worry about running out. It's also really easy to snooze or pause when you need to. Start a vitamin ritual you can actually trust to get started. Visit ritual.com slash willcole today and get 10% off your first three orders. That's ritual.com slash willcole to start your new ritual today. If you don't mind, I mean, talking about your own really traumatic period of your life and how you did mm-hmm. use that as to alchemize and to tap into this. You had a, a five-year struggle with infertility. Can you talk about that time in your life and how you use that as a spiritual practice? Yes. And Dr. Will, as, a, as you being an expert in functional medicine, I'm so grateful to share this with you Thank and you. your community. Thank you. So I'll tell you, it was brutal. It was brutal. About around the time that I was a little, about 30, it was time in my mind, that we try, my husband and I had been married for five years, try to start our family. And I thought about it like it was time now, we're going to have kids. We tried, if you will, for four months, six months, but nobody came. I thought, oh, you know, my husband said, let's go to Cancun, let's take a vacation. And that didn't work. So we followed it up with the Caribbean and that <laughs> didn't work. And something in me started to have a sense of dread that we were going to have a problem that nobody had come now in the better part of the year. There's something wrong. There was a deep ache. So we looked up online, you know, which fertility doctors have the best rates, starting light with, you know, the least invasive procedures. And we did probably six, eight months of that IUIs and nobody came. And I started to have a really horrible feeling that what if we were infertile, right? this was a sort of aching, creeping depression. It was a, it was sort of over my right shoulder. And so I looked up, you know, this fertility doctor is no good. We're not pregnant yet. I looked up a doctor in another city with even higher rates of success. And we went to the next city and we started IVFs. And each time that we did an implant and it didn't take, started to feel like a loss. And then after more failed IVFs, it started to feel like a funeral. Mm-hmm. And I was despairing. My husband was literally, you know, lying on the floor, so depressed. And we looked around our lives and, okay, we had the jobs we want. We had the work we want and we lived where we want. And we were utterly miserable because the one thing that we wanted more than anything was a child. Well, as this deepened, the despair deepened and my sense heightened that no matter which fertility doctor I visited, I was in the wrong office. That might be the right place for someone else, but it was the wrong place for me in this journey. And what was the right place? And we started getting help from very unexpected places, what I called helpers and healers along the road. So for instance, after a very, very disappointing failed in vitro, 
you know, I was pretty depressed. And I got on the bus to go up to, to work at Columbia. And the bus was 90% empty. And I sat way in the back so that I could just be alone in my misery mm-hmm. on the linoleum chair. <laughs> <laughs> and who should come along but a quite extraordinary, unusual gentleman. And I thought, oh, why is he walking to the back of the bus? There's, you know, 20 seats between me and the driver. <laughs> he walks all the way back and the gentleman sits down right next to me. And I'm not in peak condition. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, how you doing? And I said, well, okay. Clearly, okay in word, not in voice, temperament, right. slump. You know. And he said, well, you look like just that type of woman who would go all around the world adopting kids. Wow. He smiled and he got off at the next stop. Oh my gosh. And I started to realize that folks like the fellow on the bus were trail angels. They were helping me along. Mm-hmm. And of course, the greatest trail angel was my mother who called and said, you know, I know that you and Phil have had some difficulties. And I just wanted you to know that there's a woman down the way who has the most adorable little son. We'll call him John Paul. And she just adopted him from Russia. Just wanted you to know. Bye. That was the phone message. <laughs> Wow. Trail angel. And we started to get the picture that maybe there was a child out there for us. And this came to a head when after the umpteenth in vitro from the team, I'm not kidding, Dr. Will, who had invented in vitro (laughs) (laughs) using sea urchins in Cape Cod Woods Hole. They'd come up with this idea, surely from the lens of mechanistic you know, interventions, they should be able to complete the task, right? Right, right. I knew standing there, it wasn't going to work. I knew it in my heart. This was a spiritual journey. And as we sat side by side, my husband and I in recovery and solidarity in a nice hotel in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia, we just admit a pen, we're watching TV, flipping the remote, and the remote won't change the channel of our overpriced hotel TV. <laughs> well, okay, we treated ourselves. This is a stressful thing. Yeah, We're right. in this comfortable bed in a nice hotel. Why is the channel that turning? And the only show that we could watch there in solidarity bed rest was a six-hour documentary of a street child standing in a garbage dump. And through the translator, he says, this beautiful little boy, probably eight, nine years old, He says, I don't care that I can't go to school. I don't care that I live in a garbage dump, but it hurts so much to not be loved that I sniff glue to make the pain go away. And Phil turned to me and said, there's a child out there for us. So that was part of this journey where I went from a very rigid you know, secular material view that let's fix it like an automobile. Right. Let's, you know, find the problem and patch it up to realizing this had nothing to do with the mechanics of my body, nor my husband's. This was in a deeper spiritual field of life that our impasse lived. Yeah. And as we went further down the path, our impasse was to develop the type of love that made us worthy of parenthood. That love wasn't going to be about conceiving the kid who had like my nose and my husband's smarts and looked just like my great grandma, that there was a love much deeper than that. And when that love came to us, it was through a series, if I may, of, of mystical experiences. 
Wow. Shall I share? Yeah, I, I would. I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. Uh, yes, okay. I, I hope it's be honored. Yeah. So in this journey where we started to sense that this was a road of spiritual growth, of deepening, of evolution, one night I just woke up. I mean, sat up 90 degrees, bam, in bed. I don't know what had woken me up. I sat up. And Dr. Will, through the darkness of the night, this was about 3 a.m., space and time opened up. There was a numinous opening. And it was right and it was uplifting and the felt sense was ecstatic and a very deep profound sacred voice came and said if you were pregnant would you adopt and to a voice this profound i mean honesty is the only only reply it was a very profound voice and i was honest i said no and so we continued further down this journey Mm -hmm. with more trail angels and more helpers and healers the mystical presence came back months later. If you were pregnant now, same experience, space and time opening up, would you adopt? And I knew I had evolved and gotten closer to the type of profound, unconditional, ecstatic love that makes a parent, a true spiritual parent. And I said, I'm getting closer. But no, not yet. And so this goes forward. And I get a call from a trail angel, my older cousin, Jane. I'm Lisa Jane. She's Big Jane. (laughs) And Big Jane calls and speaks to me in the way that, you know, I've never been spoken to on earth. Hey, little Jane, you think you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Columbia professor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're going to sit around studying spirituality, why don't you come out here? There's going to be here in South Dakota, a Lakota healing ceremony. And it just feels like you should be there. I've gotten permission from the chief ahead. I get on a plane, I go out there and the healing ceremony, Dr. Will, through your deep wisdom as a functional medicine expert, this will make entire sense to you. Mm -hmm. One by one, members of the community stood up and the hall was full, 200 people. And in their own time, from their own heart, they told their story of pain, of physical injury, of spiritual injury, of emotional injury. Mm -hmm. Often it was about abuse. Sometimes it was about neglect. Sometimes it was about an accident, a physical accident. Mm -hmm. And after they spoke, the drums started the same powerful bit for every single participant. The drums started and 200 people stood up and lined up single file to take their turn to whisper in the ear of that member of their community in pain, what they had been inspired to share. And no one looked at their watch. I mean, whether it took 40 minutes or two hours for each individual, this was a healing ceremony. This was more important than anything the clock could send us to do. And at the end of the day, we went to the Anipi, women in one, men in the other, through which together we made prayers to one Anichi, God, spirit, and into our life. In the women's Anipi where I sat, I sat right next to Big Jane. The medicine man's wife, how she introduced herself, looked at me like, who is she? (laughs) And she said what was probably the most spiritually inspired, inclusive comment I've heard, which is, Wananichi, I don't know who this woman is, and I don't know why she has come, but I see that she has come and that you have brought her. So please work through me 
help me help her. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. We went around the circle inside of the Anipi, and it was hot, Dr. Will. I mean, everyone else seemed just fine, and I was leaning over trying to breathe through the seam. (laughs) And they were all my senior, and still I I was the one having a hard time. And each woman that day spoke of why she'd come. One woman said, my son, he is 14. He's starting to use drugs and alcohol. I worry for my son. The next said, my son, he is 40, and he's not come home in two weeks. I worry for the family. And as we went around, each woman had made a prayer about her son. Until we got to Big Jane. Big Jane, you know, I'm a professor, so my day job is talking. Mm -hmm. And I I was speechless. And I think Big Jane sensed that Mm -hmm. in advance. And she said, I've come here with my younger cousin, little Jane. She's searching for her child. And they all looked and understood. Mm. I'm wondering if together we could help her find her child. And they nodded. I was finally in the right place. Mm. And when we made a prayer, we sent it up. And Dr. Will, you could see it. It was numinous like the visitations. In my mind's eye, I could see a palpable prayer, a unit of prayer go up. And it included every woman's prayer, but it also included our collective prayer. Mm -hmm. And after five years, that night, Came a call for Russia. Wow. We have found the Miller's child. Oh my gosh. We know that Mr. Miller had expressed a preference for a daughter, and we have beautiful girls, but we have found the Miller's child, and this is a son. Wow. And so my son is named Isaiah for one world and Lakota for those who help us find our spiritual child. Oh my gosh. Dr. Well, the presence came back. I was home. The presence came back. And that night we'd found our spiritual child. Would you adopt if you were pregnant now? I'd seen Isaiah. I'd seen his video. And I said, yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Ecstatic. I had become a parent of my spiritual son. And that night we conceived naturally his sister. His sister. What? They're spiritual twins. Oh my gosh. That is unreal, man. That Thank you so much for sharing that. That's so cool. And what I'm seeing as you're telling that story, how many people know intuitively, I need to say this to somebody. I need to be that trail angel, but we're too afraid or we come across uh. weird and we don't say it. Or I know I'm being led here, but we have all the excuses in the world to not do it. And you were faithful to that next right step. Our inner wisdom, the catch and the catcher's mitt of our transcendent awareness, I call it our awakened awareness, is the most valid, most cornerstone information of our lives. Mm -hmm. It is hard data and it is generative. It opens up the next door on our path. Yes to that deep intuitive hunch, that pull, Exactly as you put it, Dr. Will, I have this feeling I should say this. There is a divine symphony in which we show up for each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel I should somehow say this is playing our part in in the sacred symphony. And I would say God or spirit's great. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I see it so much. I see it so much with patients when I'm looking throughout the day and seeing the synchronistic nature of even the people that are on the schedule. There are just so many examples of that woven throughout all of our lives. We just have to show up to the calling, right? 
Well, and that you witness it and see it, does it somehow inform how you understand yeah. it? Absolutely. My friend, you know that the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. I want to throw a few questions okay. at you. I want to know more about your wellness routine, wellness life. First question, what's a healthy food? If we just shift gears from spirit to food mm -hmm. right now, what's a healthy food that you know is healthy, but it's the, the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat it because you know it's good for you? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Well, sometimes the goji berry juice. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there. I've been there with the goji berries. <laughs> it's not the, the best. The juice is quite condensed. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. I'm curious here. Do you feel like we're better off or worse off as a society with social media? I feel that social media gives us the opportunity to do what you are doing here in your show which is to share deep wisdom, the precious gift of life experience, the best thing we have with one another. So social media is an opportunity for share. It's almost like condensed life. We get to live a thousand times when people avail social media as you do, Dr. Will, to share the finest of what it is to be on a human journey, yeah. a spiritual path. Agreed. It could be used for amazing things. I mean, look, right now yes. we're connecting to people around the world right now. It's it's definitely has great things, but like anything, it could be used, abused and used in a way that's not healthy too. Next question. Do you know what, I'm curious here. Do you know what Myers-Briggs type you are or Enneagram type you are? Well, I know half of it. I'm intuitive <laughs> <laughs> and I use feelings. So despite being a scientist, which is driven by empiricism and logic in its method, the, the question that inspires and directs the entire study comes through feeling and intuition. And you know what, Dr. Will? 70% of scientists who've made meaningful contributions to the field say that their landmark contribution, the most impactful study they did, was sure it was straightforward in the rollout with logic and empiricism, but the question that cracked open the field, that came through a mystical experience, a dream, a synchronicity. It was Newton's apple bouncing on their head. Wow. Very cool. Do you know what Enneagram you are? I don't. We, I'll do that we, and let you we, know. Yeah, we'll have to find out I'll, <laughs> offline. <laughs> What's your favorite, not necessarily a health food, but a better for you snack? Do you have a certain brand or snack that you like in that category? Mm, I love this dish of lightly seared kale, almonds, and plain yogurt. Mm, sometimes with berries, right? Oh. <laughs> What type Delish. of what type of yogurt are we talking about? It was this special kind, plain. just plain yogurt. Plain, like unflavored. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, like Chaban or something. Okay, got it. Mm. All right, last question. What's a book that you've read in the last mm. year? It could be fiction, nonfiction mm -hmm. that really inspired you or got you thinking in a fresh new way. So, you know, I had a mentor, Dr. Well, when I was getting my doctorate, Marty Seligman, and he said to me, if you can read inside the field or outside the field read outside the field mm. because good questions come from broadening your life, not being buried only within your field. And so I read, you know, science fiction. I read historical biography. I was a kid in Missouri. And so I'm very interested in people from Missouri. It's actually a very spiritual place. So I read a biography of Truman. <laughs> I love that. I, I didn't know he was from Missouri. That's very cool. And a lot, of, and you know, Lincoln wasn't quite from Missouri. It was on the Illinois side of Springfield, but there's a lot of folks from that very fertile basin 
Mm-hmm. It's a vibrant Mark Twain. So I've had tons of synchronicities with Mark Twain in my life. I've somehow found myself in his former house in Missouri, his daughter's house in Connecticut, his warm weather house in the Caribbean. No, I keep showing up in Mark Twain's house. <laughs> and I have a deep resonance with his spirit. I really like his freedom. That's so cool. Very cool. I, I said this was the last question, but I, I, I have one more question because I'd be kicking myself if I didn't ask you this. In all your research and all your experience and sort of deep connection to this, do you, I'm assuming you believe in life after death. And if so, do you have any insight on what that looks like? So Joshua, I absolutely perceive continuity of consciousness after death. And there's some good science that mirrors that, but I'm most moved by the voice of my own children of past lives. When my own children hit the pocket where they were old enough to speak, but yet not too old for that awareness to have been socialized away from the back seat of my SUV, <laughs> I hear, <laughs> oh, mama, so funny, says little Isaiah, two years old. I have three grandpas. I have Grandpa Martin, his dad's dad. I have Grandpa Sid, his mom's dad. And then <laughs> I have Grandpa Jan. Grandpa Jan is so funny. He tells me jokes in the barn while he's working. Now, we know from good data, very often this work is done in India, that 70% of reincarnations happen within a day's walk from home. Mm. Why? Because even though we could go anywhere, we are energetically entangled with mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Well, Isaiah was from north of St. Petersburg, Jan in the barn, a carpenter. And it sounds so very different when a child shares of a past life, there's a cadence, there's a momentum, there's a clarity that's entirely different than the sort of circumambulating making up of stories. Mm-hmm. So I am absolutely certain, both from the data and from my own experience as a mother, that there is both continuity of consciousness and that we do return. Yeah. This has been a rich conversation, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Come back anytime. How can people get, learn more about your work and get the book? Where where do they go? Well, thank you. So lisamillerphd.com, lisamillerphd.com shares about the awakened brain. And on my page, there's many discussions about the awakened brain with luminaries like you, Dr. Well. Thank you. And I can't wait to put this on the page. You, you are extraordinary. You are my soul brother. And I, I'm so I feel the same way. You. I feel this resonance with you. Thank you so much. And you are also a field maker, a path breaker, and a leader. And I'm so grateful for what you're doing for our shared society. Likewise. Likewise, my friend. Well, everyone will go there. We'll put the link links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. Come again anytime. Much joy. Thank you. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. Now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Carla. 
You talked on the last Ask Me Anything episode about the antidepressant research in serotonin. But what do you say to the people who antidepressants actually help? Thanks for the question, Carla. So we talked about it, and what she's talking about is the every few weeks we have an entire episode to your health questions. At the end of every regular episode, we're doing it right now, <laughs> I answer one, but then there are episodes with the entire entire episode devoted to answering your health questions and we go over health research, et cetera. So that's what Carla is referring to. Um, go back and listen to the episode if you want. In the title of that Ask Me Anything episode is serotonin and depression for your reference. All right. So even in that episode, I said, Carla, if antidepressants work for you, then there's no shame in that. So let me be clear I'm not anti-antidepressants. And I said that then, and I said it now. And I also posted about this research because it's a big deal. Uh, I posted about it on Instagram as well around the release of that Ask Me Anything episode. And we got a lot of mostly positive comments in the comment section on Instagram. But a lot of people said, well, what do you, the same thing that you asked, Carla, which is a fair question. And I'm, I want to be clear about this, that some people... That is a tool within their toolbox, and there's no shame in that whatsoever. All I was doing was giving what the study was showing. I was just uh, giving feedback about the study itself. It's not my study. This is published in Molecular Psychiatry out of the University College of London. It is um, a massive meta-analysis looking at all the data on the topic of antidepressants and serotonin. So I was just relaying the study without really any bias. This is something that we knew in functional medicine for a long time because we were following the science. There really wasn't clear evidence to show that at least in most people, a serotonin deficiency or a quote unquote chemical imbalance actually drove or was the cause of people's depression. So, but there is actually, we know that there's people that are helped by antidepressants and there's evidence that showed that. But what we're looking at and asking the question is why or and how then, if it's not due to it impacting serotonin or this quote unquote chemical imbalance, because both are largely a myth and used in marketing from pharmaceutical companies more than it actually being settled science it's actually very much unsettled. And the study was very clear that there was no evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin or chemical imbalance out of this comprehensive, very comprehensive review in molecular psychiatry. But this is my opinion. This is my opinion coming from a functional medicine side of things. For the people that are benefited from antidepressants, which is not the majority of people. Majority of people, it works little more or about the same as placebo, which I'll talk about in a moment. And there are a lot of potential side effects. So we're not anti-medication or certainly not anti-antidepressants. We just want to ask the question, what is your most effective option that causes you the least amount of side effects? For some people, antidepressants, working with their doctor is a tool within their toolbox but I'm more concerned, what's the mechanism and are there more effective options that's causing them the least amount of side effects? So for some people, when you look at the research around the cytokine model of cognitive function, cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. There's research to show that antidepressants may 
act as a mild anti-inflammatory. So if that there is low-grade inflammation contributing or causing someone's anxiety or depression, if you're taking an antidepressant and it's behaving like a mild anti-inflammatory and that's improving symptoms, that may be a plausible mechanism in which that antidepressant is helping that person. My question would be, are there more effective ways to lower inflammation? And that's what I see play out in thousands of people's lives over the year without any side effects. They're just getting healthy and they're lowering inflammation. That's what I do. So that's my point there. But look, if they're not, if that is a tool that's working for them, then there's no shame whatsoever. And I'm never advocating for someone to go off the medications, discuss all these things with your doctor. Number Point number two is placebo. And it's not a negative thing. It is literally just looking at the science around belief and mind over matter. If someone believes something's going to help them, that can change their physiology. And if anything, that's exciting to show the power of our thoughts, the power of intention, the power of positive thinking and how it can impact our physical health. So that's a possibility as well. And look, I do I think because because there's a lot of evidence to show that neuroinflammation and the cytokine component of mental health issues like anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, if you have a medication that may act like a mild anti-inflammatory but also increases serotonin, if someone has neuroinflammation, we can assume they have similar something similar to leptin resistance. Leptin resistance is a hormonal resistance pattern where the hypothalamic cells of the brain aren't picking up the hormone leptin that's released from the fat cells. So the brain is leptin resistant. I think it's fair to say if someone has low-grade neuroinflammation, they may have serotonin resistance, where if you're pushing more serotonin into the system, it can help symptoms that way if they're having a signaling problem. Meaning at the very, if you're taking that serotonin model, even though there isn't clear science around it, and that's what this new study is showing, but if you do say, well, okay, neuroinflammation is a component of this. If you are pushing more serotonin in the system and there's a signaling problem, then what we could say is, well, maybe the, the serotonin imbalance or the neurotransmitter imbalance is a result of inflammation. So basically shoving more serotonin in the system could improve symptoms that way too. So I think for some people, serotonin signaling problems could be a component because of neuroinflammation. And then on top of that, the gut component too. I mean, 95% of serotonin is made in the gut, stored in the gut. And there's a lot of research looking at microbiome changes and its implication to depression as well. These are the things that I quantify on labs. So it's not just some theory. We can look at gut problems and its connection to anxiety and depression and other brain health issues. We can quantify neuroinflammation and its implication to anxiety and depression. I just find studies like this fascinating because it really confirms what I see play out in people's lives. Hopefully this clarifies my nuanced perspective. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, 
head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back every Monday and Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.